And it's also a fear, I believe, of certain men, certain people in society that if women become sexually free, they are completely free. They're completely uncaged. Because as long as we keep women as being the sexual property of a man or within a sexual cage of a man or of society or whatever, we can keep them there. Welcome to Enoughness. This is Lisa Carmen Wang, U.S. national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? Hey, everyone. Thank you to all of you who reached out and responded to last week's episode. It was such an overwhelmingly positive response, and it just really reiterated to me how powerful this topic of enoughness really is and how universal it is that everyone in some way or another struggles with trying to grapple with what is that point where it is enough? You know, when is it enough? And it creates such a incredible platform to meet people where they are and really delve into some of those deepest issues that we don't often talk about. So I just want to remind everyone who's listening that you are enough. And that's something I need to tell myself over and over again. But, you know, we are we are all enough. And if we can really grasp that at the end of the day, then it makes life a lot easier. But we have to also be gentle on ourselves on those days where we do feel down, when we do feel like nothing's working or we're not working correctly. But I hope that this podcast will be a continual source of inspiration, of feeling good, of at least feeling like you're not alone, Uh, that even the people that I bring on, some of them are just really, really incredible, really successful, and just powerful people, and yet they feel the same thing as I do, as you do, as we all do. So thank you, everyone, again, for tuning in. This week is a special week for me because it is my birthday, and I love birthdays. You know, it's a lot of people don't like it because once they hit a certain age, it's like you're just getting older. It's not the same as when you were a kid. But I just, I love birthdays. I think age is a state of mind. And so I find that every year, I can reflect and I feel like I am more and more myself, like I'm stepping more and more into my authentic power, uh, really starting to understand my voice. And so this year is no different. And I'm really excited because I, well, you know, I'm back with you guys on the Enoughness podcast, but also that this past year has really been a transformative time for me in terms of embracing my voice really accepting my body and who I am, even with those struggles of enoughness, but just, you know, feeling embodied as a woman and feeling like I have the right to say certain things, to share my opinions, no matter how strong they may be, and no longer feeling shame around my body, which is something that so many women especially feel is this 
this perpetual shame, like our bodies are not good enough or people are judging the way we look or our weight or our skin or everything. That has been one of the most incredible things for me is just as I'm getting older, learning how to accept my body, learning how to feed my body the right things and accept that some days I look in the mirror and I don't like it. Some days I like it, but that is not going to define my worth. So today's podcast guest is someone that I really respect and she has also clearly undergone this transformation from someone who really had her body dictated by mainstream Hollywood uh, as an actress, as all actresses have to in Hollywood live up to a certain standard, are judged more harshly when they're in the limelight. And today's guest rejected those standards. She had the confidence to stand up to that and say, this isn't for me. Because when she entered her 30s, she had the directors around her saying, oh, you're not allowed to be sexy anymore. You know, when you turn 30s, you need to play the mom in the minivan because that's what women are at your age. And she just wasn't having it. So this will be a really, really incredible conversation for those of you who feel like you have more to offer to the world, but maybe that side of you just isn't something that is normally accepted in mainstream, right? It's maybe there's a fear that people will judge you. So I am super excited to introduce you to Maitland Ward. Maitland Ward, the first time I saw her was when I was a kid watching Boy Meets World. So for those of you who remember the show, it was a hugely popular show in the 90s, Boy Meets World. There was Corey and Topanga and... Uh, there's, you know, this constant drama and it was just like the show. It was one of my favorite shows actually. And Maitland Ward was known as Rachel on Boy Meets World. And she spent her early career on the show and she talks about her experience navigating those early stages of her acting career. But Maitland then took the leap into pornography And especially this transition from mainstream Hollywood into pornography industry while in the public eye is not an easy feat. So today she is building that bridge between mainstream and pornographic entertainment and re-examining, redefining the way women's bodies are portrayed and the ownership of her own body. So in the episode today, she's going to tell us all about how she was able to follow her joy for performance in acting, how she gained the confidence to reject the mainstream standards for women and take the leap into pornography, her experience working in the porn industry and making award-winning features with female directors, and this ever-evolving conversation around sexuality and women's bodies. I am really, really excited to bring you this episode. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Excuse me, are you? A voice in a restaurant catches me just as salmon flakes off my fork. I look up, my silverware settling onto my plate as a man with shaky hands gives me the back of a menu to sign. He's smiling as he tells me he loves my work. Really smiling, really, really loves my work. Did I mention he was smiling? 
but he's also wearing a Frozen the Musical t-shirt. He hands me a pen and I loop his name onto the paper. As I finish, he asks me what I'm working on next. My jaw slacks in the expectant pause. It's moments like this that I have to take a quick scan of the evidence before me and assess, does he know me from Disney or from porn? It was a big deal when I starred my first hardcore adult feature. A college roommate of Eric and Jack, who used to dance around washing dishes in her purple underwear, was now taking them off. And she was doing a whole lot more than that. The day Drive, the film I made with Caden Cross for Deeper.com, was announced. The site's traffic skyrocketed. Subscriptions for the site and Vixen Media Group went wild. The headlines were international and viral. I trended number one on Google all day, topping Bernie Sanders' heart attack. The joke was that I gave it to him. I guess you'd have to expect news of a TV teen crush becoming a full-fledged porn star to have legs, but I, th I don't think anybody expected them to have such long-running ones. Celebs, especially ones from children's TV of yesteryear, are always trying to grab their 15 minutes from TMZ. If this had been my intention, I would have followed the formula, make bad sex tape, cry that it was a mistake to make said bad sex tape, then start a YouTube channel where you gain followers and sponsors by constantly wailing in your shame about your really bad sex tape. Yawn. This was not me. It would never be. I am not ashamed. Many expected my rise in the adult world, including many in the adult world itself, to be a flash in the pan. It was a stunt. I wasn't serious. No one from mainstream ever is. Like mainstream is a place you go and can never look back. But that's what makes this story different my genuine love for adult performance and for colorful cinema. My story is a journey rather than a cautionary tale, and I was ready to prove the naysayers wrong. Do you still feel that today, that you've proven your naysayers wrong, and are you still facing them? Uh, yes, I absolutely feel I, uh, I proved the naysayers wrong, especially uh, I spent a year with uh, Deeper.com and Vixen and doing all of these you know, projects and, and won awards and... Um, it's just been a really unbelievable, fabulous year, even with coronavirus and everything. We Now we've found a way to get back into the groove and, and to make projects again starting up. So, um, yeah, I feel like there's always a little bit of doubt on both sides, whether it be mainstream saying, oh, she's just doing this for attention she had to. And I'm like, why would I have to like be super successful, have, you know, make more money than I've ever made, have, have fans just, you know, growing my social media and stuff. And um, so I always, I fight that stigma. And I always do try to fight that stigma in mainstream by being positive and telling what a positive experience I've had. But, you know, I also get it from the adult world too. People that don't know me in the adult world always think mainstream people are trying to use them in some way. And I wasn't. I genuinely loved adult performing and erotic performing and, and doing all that stuff. So I really wanted to get in and prove myself that way. But, um, but yeah, most celebrities do try to use that, uh, the adult industry, for their own purpose, usually just by making a sex tape. <laughs> and it's usually terrible. Like my stuff, I... My stuff has like pages of dialogue and, and, and we film like just like regular films. So I'm really fortunate to be able to be at a place like Deeper.com that does have such high quality production value and acting and scripts. Mm -hmm. But then we get to do the hot section performing too. So how do you yes. deal with comments um, that do that are negative? Like what's the internal dialogue that you have? And, you know, has there been a point in time where you've 
felt really sensitive and felt really affected? You know, what's interesting when I had that big press release and everybody talked about it and stuff, I got very little negative commentary. Hmm. Everybody had the headlines. Oh, Rachel, White's world is in porn and all this. But for the most part, it was all very upbeat and positive. I mean, it was like, hey, we're, I'm in porn. I'm proud. I'm doing this. And I think the press responded in that way that I wasn't like, oh, I'm shamed. I did this. And I don't, I think it's also a different world that we're becoming. Like I noticed that a lot of the um, journalists and stuff are in their twenties and thirties and they're much more open to porn and to sexual performing and to all of that than like journalists who would be older. I can just see like, and so a lot of these like internet journalists and bloggers or, or whatever are younger. And so they don't, they, there's not the tabooing shock there was before. And I think people see that I'm genuine about my love of it and wanting to create special things and not just try to get attention off some terrible sex tape. But whenever anybody is negative, I try to com- combat that with being positive and, and just being showing that I'm happy and I'm making stuff that I always dreamed of making and that I'm just so, um, have such positive experiences. And I think that always combats it because when people are trying to say to you, oh, you're, this is trash or this is this. And you're like, I just love it. I'm positive. This is great. What do they say? What are they going to say back to you? Oh, you're not happy. And if they do, what does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> and I, I've been, yeah. That level. Like just never stooping to that level. Yeah. I think it's just not even going that low. And I, I've been really lucky. I have such a, such a fervent fan base that they've been with me from when I started from, from Boy Meets World too, but especially when I started on social media from, when I did sexy cosplay and more exhibitionist stuff. I've been doing this for years now where I, you know, I did body paint and um, all sorts of things like that. And um, I did the sexy cosplay and then I kind of, you know, evolved from there. So everybody's been kind of on a journey with me. So it's funny when people in the press are like, she all of a sudden switched. And it's like, well, it's been happening for like probably the past five years of an evolution. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the evolution and for, especially for women, this sort of evolution is something that can be really powerful. And in the past has been something that is perceived negatively, you know, especially in in any sort of professional world where a woman is public, there's nonstop criticism just about her body and, you know, being too sexy and all this stuff. So I want to go back to, you know, when you first started acting, um, even as a, as a child, right? What was your dream as a child? What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I always wanted to be an actress since I was like three and a half years old and I was doing Star Wars on my front porch with my you know, neighbors and my dogs and uh, just I would make little videos with my friends and uh, we would just make all these productions and plays and stuff. So I always had that creative juice in me that I wanted to do it. I didn't start doing it professionally until I was like 16 and I shortly after got a role in a soap opera. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. I spent like three years playing this very sweet ingenue that had everything terrible happen to her, but it was cool. Cause at the first part I was in high school at the time and I got to, you know, be on a soap opera and go to high school at the same time. And I don't know, it was just, um, it was really cool. And then after that, of course I got one meets world and, um, and that, but yeah, I think I always had a dream of doing something of course, I wasn't thinking porn when I was growing up, but uh, I always had a dream of doing something special and creating and making film. I just loved that. So it's, it's, 
I'm really getting to play so many roles that I never would have gotten to play in mainstream. So it's really special. Yeah. What is it about the being in front of that camera that you love so much? I think it's creating the project, creating the art for people to see. I just love to create and I love to entertain. And I think that's what it's all about when you make something that is, is so like you put your heart and soul into and you you're entertaining people. I think that's just such a great, it's great feedback. It's like, um, I think the arts are so underappreciated and they're so necessary. I think in this time of coronavirus and everything, people have really recognized like corn is very (laughs) essential to, to our lives, especially in this lockdown and everything. But, but so is entertainment and art and to keep us, you know, engaged and entertained and help us from going insane <laughs> with everything that's going on in the world. But yeah, I just, it's, it's really about putting your heart and soul into a project and people receiving it and it gives them something back. I mean, it, it's, I always get the most touched when people say that I've helped them in some way. I've entertained them. Even if they just say, you know what, I had the most miserable week but I watched your stuff and I, it was so good. And I, I just could just forget about everything. That's the best thing. Yeah. And that's especially amplified right now. Awesome. So what was that experience like when you were in Hollywood, you know, in Boy Meets World, like in what ways was that challenging for you? It was a very fun, easy set though. It was already established when I came into it. So it was more about just integrating into the cast, but I felt like I did it very quickly with everyone. We were all good friends. It wasn't a dramatic set. So I wouldn't say it was hard at all. And I mean, the executive producer, he really maintained a very sane, safe set. So nobody was, you hear about these old stories about childhood shows where people are all crazy on drugs and just all this drama. Really, we just had like normal teenage high school drama stuff, young people drama. It was nothing. Um, so I, can't, I actually look back at that time, and it was a very easy time, actually. Mm. We didn't know how popular it was because there was no internet. And all we did, we got feedback from, like, teen magazines. And, <laughs> um, it, and it didn't even, it hadn't caught on to the fact that it was on a Disney channel all the time and people would be seeing the reruns all the time. So it was a surprise to everyone how much it is ingrained in society and how much people just love it for generate for decades. And that's really special. I think we really got that when growing world and all that came back and we all did like cast appearances together and stuff. And people were really giving us feedback and the internet was here and everybody <laughs> and the people who grew up with it were now in their twenties, in their early thirties. And they were showing it. They, they were like, this meant so much to me. So it was cool. They, they could tell us. So yeah, it's, it was a very fun, easy period. I think. Yeah, it was no Hollywood I mean, <laughs> drama. I mean, I was definitely, I was definitely a fan. So yeah, oh yeah, all that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, at what point did Hollywood become stifling? You know, I I read about when you hit your thirties. You know, you were told that you weren't allowed to be sexy and that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at what point did you feel like you couldn't fully be yourself and you were searching for something more? Well, definitely, like when you turn 30, it was more, especially since I had the history of Boy Meets World, and I had done White Chicks too, but uh, it was the Boy Meets World more. They view you in a certain way, and they want to keep keep you. Hollywood wants to keep you in that, that, that role. So I wanted to do like more sexy things, like I was doing the whole sexy cosplay, and I was doing erotic writing, and I was 
I was just, I, like I went away to, to New York for a while and I was doing a lot of writing and theater and stuff and exploring. Um, but yeah, but Hollywood, whenever I would say, oh, I want to think about, you know, getting back into it or whatever, they'd be like, send me out for mom, soccer mom roles. That, you know, and that was not something that I was interested in. And like the publicist that I had said, you're not, once you get past 30 or 35 or whatever, nobody's going to hire you to play anything sexy. You're not going to make any money that way. <laughs> Just, and he thought he was being practical. And I was like, I, well, don't care. Then I won't do those roles. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then I turned to social media a lot. And I didn't really plan it. It was just I kept doing what I like to do on social media, and then people identified with it, and they kept following me. And I was shocked that I got like to have a career in, in sexy cosplay, and people were interested in that, or that they wanted to see my like Playboy esque stuff, or they um, they would pay for content. I couldn't believe that. So along the journey, it was really cool. It was it was completely fans in the social media that had built my career because mm. nobody in mainstream would have done that. Yeah, if you hadn't gotten that sort of positive reception right off the bat, do you think you would have felt differently or been? Different? I don't think I don't know if I got it right off the bat. I think I was just I had a, a nice core base that that liked me and followed me in the beginning, but I kind of was just doing my own thing. I didn't care. I really didn't care. I was just like, hmm, I want to do this. I want to do body paint now. I want to try these artistic things, and I want to do fun photo shoots and. Uh, like I started out with really doing a lot of the cosplay because the photographer, a friend of mine had the, uh, an authentic slave Leia outfit from star Wars. And he said, you should do it on May the 4th. It would be really cool. This was like five, six years ago. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Cause I want to do it. That'd be fun. <laughs> like I really love star Wars. And so I did it and it blew up and I got more followers from that. And it, I think, so I wasn't like planning. Everybody thinks, oh, you strategically planned it. It really wasn't. It was just whatever I felt at the time that I wanted to do and explore. Just like with porn, I, I started out selling content on Patreon that was just Playboy-esque, very like my boobs or um, sexy cosplay that was just, you know, and they would get photo galleries and, and videos like that. But then it just evolved and I said, I want to try this and I want to try this. And we were doing dungeon shoots and we were getting girl, girl stuff. And so it just, it really evolved from there. And it was all because I just liked to do it. And then I, I like to do it for people too, because I'm kind of an exhibitionist. So it was fun that people were watching my journey along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like you've had a lot of confidence in just following what your heart wants. Where do you think that confidence comes from? And have you ever had moments where you've doubted yourself? Oh my God, of course. And I think the confidence came with age because I would have never been this confident when I was like women's world times. I, I, or even afterwards, I, I had to go away and I had to like rediscover myself and like go to school and just train and like theater wise and, and learn and write. And, and it was a very lengthy process of an evolution. And I don't know, I just got to the point where I was like, I really just want to be myself and do my own thing. And that really came about when people were telling me you can only be one thing. And I'm, <laughs> I'm somebody who's, who's like, I'm not going to take that. <laughs> I'm going to rebel against that. And, and especially since they're saying that to me, I'm going to do it more. So, so I think that propelled me, but I all, yeah, there's always moments of doubt, but I really think the older I got, I was never as confident, like in stuff with my body when I was younger, I never would have been able to do that. It's just growing into my own skin. 
and that's that's what really helps and and then just having that you know fan support along the way that was totally genuine and when Hollywood was like ignoring what I was doing they were propelling me upward so it's it's, it's really cool yeah but I think everybody has doubts too at times yeah um I mean this this rebellion instinct which I think is in almost everyone, right? And, and I actually think that we, as women, get this, this rebellion instinct is like crushed. It's like suppressed a lot of times yeah. because of the good girl brainwashing that says, you right. people please, you need to play small, like don't speak yeah. too loudly. Um, where did your rebellion instinct come from, do you think? And what allowed you to, at the end of the day, say, I'm going to listen to it rather than suppress it? I don't know. I think even growing up, I was always allowed the freedom to, you know, explore what I wanted to do and, and speak my mind and speak up. And, you know, I've always been sort of an athlete too. And that whole competition winning, I'm going to beat what they say about me, or I'm going to, I'm going to win this race, that kind of thing. But like I said, it really comes over time with knowing your voice and, just listening to what really is true inside of you. And when you're younger, it's so easy to be told what to do because of society's way of telling, like you say, the good girl, the good girl brainwashing. You need to do this. You need to do that. Um, I, I was lucky though, growing up that I never had that in my household that I had to be a good girl a certain way. Uh, I was always encouraged to, you know, explore and to just, just be myself um, and to find myself, I guess. But I, it really it happened when I was older, and it happened. It just made me take a step back. I, I'm happy in the fact that when I was older, I didn't just give in to what they wanted of me. But I think I was just tired of it. And I don't know. There's just something inside of you that you're just. I just knew I had to listen to. I, <laughs> I just knew it. And I think people really need to, especially women, need to listen to that voice inside of them and not squash it or put it down or um you know light that fire they need to light the fire <laughs> fan the flames yeah and, and i always say to question whose voice is actually speaking uh-huh. in your you head. hear that voice inside you this voices around here are, are the ones you don't want to follow <laughs> yeah and sometimes they're the loudest because we're the loudest them to suppressing what that actual intuitive voice is one quote that you wrote was, people will ask me if I fear that the adult industry has ruined me for the mainstream, and it's quite the opposite. Mainstream ruined me for mainstream. Can you tell us more about what you meant? Well, it's, yeah, it's just about being put into that hole. Mainstream would never invest in me in this kind of stuff that I want to do. A porn aside, just the kind of characters that I want to play. Like right now, I play very powerful, manipulative, like strong, really dramatic characters, I would never be seen as that. They would always see me as very light and very funny. And like I said, a soccer mom now, and you were on Boy Meets World, so you should be in Hallmark movies. And that would be like my nightmare. <laughs> we actually last year made a, a film at Deeper that was kind of like the anti-Hallmark movie. Where I was. So... Um, just it was at Christmas time, and I was just, I was just a very bad girl, manipulative kind of person. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just think it's like they pigeonhole you in Hollywood, and then they they pigeonhole you, pigeonhole you, pigeonhole you, and then finally you just disappear a lot of times, and that's what happens to a lot 
of people that were on sitcoms or shows early on. I think, I don't know, they keep getting, staying in that same place in that same role and Hollywood enforces that and, and expects that of them and demands that of them until they just throw you out kind of. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be that kind of thing. I'll do it my own way. Um, but honestly, I didn't expect it to blow up as big as it was. It was just me doing that with my fans. And why, why do you think people stay it's just out of fear that they'll lose something in Hollywood? I mean, I can't say that everyone doesn't enjoy Maybe if they want to play those roles in soccer mom, that's fine. I mean, I'm totally supportive if that's what you want to do. So there's that. Um, but I think it's always that you can get back in somehow. Like if you're, you play by the good girl role and you pay by the rules and you play by their rules, somehow you'll get back into be into the main grain of it all or whatever. Um, but it's not true most times. I mean, yeah. And it's not authentic. I mean, maybe it's authentic for some, for other people. I'm not saying that, but it's really wouldn't be authentic for me. And, and I'm the kind of person I can't be phony like that. I can't say, Oh, I'm just enjoying this so much. And I'm just going to play what somebody else wants me to be. And that's not me. So I was read, I would rather have given up all of acting mm. and done it my way. And, um, yeah, and that, before the porn stuff, so I was writing too, and I still do write. I write, you know, I'm helping write for the site too. So I was thinking about that kind of thing, that kind of shift is to write like script writing and erotic writing and things like that. Yeah, when Girl Meets World and all that came back, it kind of brought attention back to me and I could kind of reassess and say, hey, I want to now build on what I'm, who I am now. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's really clear and really admirable is how unapologetically yourself you are. It, and that reflects in your voice, it reflects in your language. And I'm curious how you have felt your own voice has evolved over time. It's night and day from when I was very young because I was definitely wanted to please and I didn't feel I could speak up to my all of my thoughts and opinions I needed to play certain roles and, and be a certain way. And also I hadn't formulated all of my thoughts and opinions yet. I hadn't had life experience and, and experience doing different things that I could have a voice, but I think it, like I said, it just comes from a place of just evolving as yourself over time. I think it's really important that people discover themselves, especially women. I think women can be young and, and agreeable and then they get pigeonholed. And then a lot of like, you just you just lose your voice and other people's voices become more more vocal like especially women like have children they, their children are the most important or their their husband or their their job or their boss or whoever it is 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 their voice is over theirs it's more demanding so um i think no matter what a woman is doing whether she's a mother or a professional or whatever it's important for her to continue to discover her voice no matter what even if it's just set apart like a little hour a day or something to to study or journal or read or or just um continue to develop yourself so i think that that voice comes from just knowing yourself yeah over time yeah and i think it's a lot of times we just think that our voice isn't enough you know it's it doesn't have enough weight and i think you know right off the bat what i noticed as well was even in reading um, the article that you had wrote about your transition into the adult film industry is that you're a very good writer, which means that oh, you've, you. yeah, you've, you've written a lot. And so I think when 
you actually take the time to write things down and you see it visibly on paper, that also, it almost like it actually gives your own voice gravitas because you're, you're. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It really, it, it means a lot to me to write and to, yeah, to state like how, like what my feelings are and, and what my beliefs are and how I got to where I am. Also, I think people are interested because I don't, there's not been a story like mine like ever because I mean there's been like I said sex tapes and and people trying to get attention and stuff but there hasn't been a story of somebody taking it seriously at my age too and becoming I don't know like working all the time and doing all these projects and and porn and and then you know trying being like both mainstream and porn at the same time so it's it's an interesting story so I, I like to I like to get it down <laughs> out there. And I hope to write lengthier pieces on that too. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Can you take us behind the scenes of the actual filming and what that experience is like? Yes. Uh, now I have to say I have on deeper.com. It is exactly like a film set. It's, there's nothing different than that. You would not know other porn sets from other companies. I can't speak on because I, ours is like top notch. We are making full length scripts. Um, so, it's exactly like a porn. It's so weird. People always think it's going to be, like I said in the article, it's going to be this CBD kind of environment where people are doing drugs and there's orgies and there's nothing. We, you have, there's so many rules on a porn set. You don't understand. We have to, first of all, we have to test us aside from Corona. Now it's Corona every day if we do anything, but um, we have to test for all STDs every two weeks. You have to have everything like in the system that the testing system up and running before you get on set. There's consent beforehand. You have to say exactly what you do and you don't want to do. The scene is planned out ahead of time completely. I mean, sure, little surprises, but not like anything unexpected. So it's very technical in that way. I mean, of course it's enjoyable and it's fun and it, it's, a, it's great, but um, you also have to, it's, it's performing. You have to um, know where the cameras are and you have to, you know, the lighting and the angles and you have to get, you know, certain places at certain times in the scene. So I think people would be shocked to see how technical it is. And it's really like making a movie, just you have sex in it. That's <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and especially on our sets, because we just have massive like dialogue and shot lists and, and in our artistic shots and stuff. So and I think people would be very surprised to know how many women are prominent in porn. They are the award-winning directors and writers in porn. Like, uh, like the, the woman who I work with, Kate and Cross, who used to be a performer herself. Um, and she still is sometimes. But um, she, her company, Deeper.com, is like she's one director of the year, two years in a row. And she, this porn allows women to make films unedited, not, not like in the way that she can write and have her voice and make her art the way she wants. And they're not going to get involved with telling her you can't say this or you can't do this. She has artistic control. And I think porn gives so much artistic control to women and not just her. Like there's other women who are prominent directors. Yeah. And, and is that, is that common? Because I, I mean, I think one of the critiques of porn is that it is um, it's from the male gaze, right? There's it's, there's a lot of people who create it where it is demeaning towards women. Um, but I think there are more and more female directors, but is that, is, you think that's mainstream at this point? 
like mainstream in porn that there are women or is it the top director like the ones that are making the award-winning features and the award-winning performances and the, the top stuff there are so there are very prominent women now like the, there's all different things like just like in hollywood there's a lot of lower companies that i don't know what they're doing but <laughs> but so that that's a lot of where the stereotypes come from especially like there's companies that are just so they put out so much like shoddy product that i don't even i don't even know but I'm, we're talking about the ones that are awarded and are um the high-end projects and because that's what i work on at deeper we, we work on like high-end quality projects so um it's much more common than it is in mainstream, let's just say. Mainstream, let's see if you can find an award-winning. How many award-winning like, uh, film directors are female? And yet, in the last several years, women have won all the awards for mm-hmm. porn. Yeah. So. Awesome. I think women will also know the male gaze. They know what men want, so they can actually play to that. People think it's just men. Women know exactly like what. And there's also a question of like people say, oh, porn it's made for males, but women enjoy it too. Uh, and especially the stuff that we're making in it. And to say that females have to enjoy a certain kind of porn and men enjoy in a completely different kind. It's kind of, I don't know. Cause the stuff we make, I know appeals to both. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you feel about the world's relationship now to women's bodies and women's sexuality? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. First of all, how the world is so, freaked out by if a nipple shows yet they don't care if there's massive violence right in front of them they but oh if you have a shadow of a nipple on social media like it's going to wreck people's minds forever um just the fact that also the women's women's bodies are always sexualized like the male nipple is here have it out who cares but women's nipples oh they might create a reaction in somebody (laughs) so i think that's ridiculous and the relationship that people have with porn like I said, the younger people are different. They're, I feel that they really, they've been exposed to it and experienced it and watched it their whole lives on the internet. But like older people, we're not even old, but older people probably past over over 40s and they, they have a different taboo relationship with it. So it's weird. It's because they, they watch it and they enjoy it. Everybody watches it. But then they want to demean it and shut it down and keep it away and 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 dehumanize the women making it. And they want to shame women if they, like they said, how could a woman possibly want to sexually perform or be sexual in any way? She must be either on drugs, she must be crazy, she must have had a terrible family life. And it's, it's insane how people can't grasp that a woman might just love sex and want to, want to perform sexually. She doesn't have to be messed up. But if a, a guy performer, they don't say that necessarily about him. They just say, wow, he's, he's just stunned. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's double standard is just, it's incredible to me that in 2020 that it's still there. And it, I think it just, it still roots from the insecurity, right? Someone's own insecurity that they have to demean other people, that they have to demean. Women. Yeah. Yeah. Especially women, they have to keep them in their place. And it's also a fear, I believe of certain men and certain people in society that if women become sexually free, they are completely free. They're completely uncaged because as long as we keep women as being the sexual property of a man or within a sexual cage of a man or of society or whatever, 
we can keep them there. Like we, we recently had a um, small script about it has to deal with um, how women's roles are so separate in society, the separate roles of mothers, daughters, wives, and then the woman who's sexually explicit or adventurous, how she doesn't deserve love. But the others all expect love, but nobody expects to give it to the sexually explicit woman. So um, what they need to merge yeah, <laughs> for, for women to be truly free to be who they are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting because we're at a point where women can pursue economically, right? You, right. you can pursue that and you're free from like the legal... Uh, you know, the laws that used to keep us down from not being able to right. employment. And so right. like the last vestige is the sex- her sexuality. So as long as you're like, oh, she's crazy, she's an outcast. You know, if she actually embraces her, it's just like your, your bigness, right? Your, the, mm-hmm. the fact that you can be open and expressive and as big as you want versus yeah. like, keeping you small and you know, keeping you apologetic and feeling like you're not yes. all the time. Right, exactly. You made a, That's an excellent point. It's like we've gone to the point where women can be strong in the workplace and in business and, and out there in professions, but it's still sexuality is what keeps them, the, the, keeps them, you know, male domination or societal domination over them. Because women are just as bad as men in, in, in our works, actually. Because so, I will get, like, men were like, oh, that's amazing, you're sexually open and all that. But then women will be like, oh, how can you do that? Like, they, but it's also kind of like they think about it, but they're like afraid or they want to, I don't know, it's just, it's, they're afraid to break out of the role because they're, like I said, I said in the article too, they're interested. They're like, what's it like? What's it all about? Like, how can you be this sexually open? So um, the fact that they're asking questions, but yeah, it's, um, that's the last frontier I believe for mm-hmm. for women's full freedom. Yeah, um, and and it's that that question of like how how is it possible that you can be you know that open or that sexual, yeah. and the judgment. It and I always I always remind myself you know when I get judgment or haters or anything like that that it's mm-hmm. again it's their own fear to yeah do that themselves right it's like i can't do it myself and i feel trapped then it's easier for me to just watch and judge and say something critical about someone else who's right i actually want to do yeah that's exactly what i'm trying to say yeah you worded it excellently um yeah they are curious and they really deep down are i would want to try but they're they're afraid or they can't or they they feel society would judge them or the men in their life would judge them or whatever but yeah, so they feel like being critical <laughs> and tear it down, which it's fine if they can't do it or don't want to do it, but just embrace another woman and lift her up if she wants to do it. It's like, there's no competition. I'm not going to be like a, a professional skier, but I'm not going to like say, oh, that's this, she's so good on the slopes. She's so ridiculous. <laughs> I'll embrace all skiers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what motivates and drives you now? I really want to make projects that can cross between mainstream and porn. And I do believe there is a place for that where like we already are working on scripts that are fully fleshed out, wonderful story scripts that have sex in them that can be, can go back and forth to mainstream possibly with certain parts cut out here and there. 
to placate to some of the mainstream guidelines and stuff. But I do believe pornography can be art. And I don't, I think the future is going to be more embracing of that, especially on streaming services. And even on like our website on, on deeper.com, they, you can stream there this, these wonderful art pieces that, and, and storylines that are sexual too. Like I did one recently, it was on a poem by Jack Gilbert. It was so beautiful. It was done like a, she, she really directed it absolutely beautifully where it looked like a moving painting. And then it went into the sex, but it had this underlying story. So it was like a piece that became formed, but was it ever really formed? Like it just kind of evolved into this very passionate thing where my characters, all of her emotions were just let out. And then she was free at the end in this, in this piece. So it was, it was really cool to make that because it really felt like a moving painting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Even in the fact that the old paintings have the nudes and the very, there's also, we also posed a question, how long after something is nude or pornographic, does it become art? Because in earlier civilizations, you see these cave paintings of like total porn stuff, but now they're art in museums. So what they were probably at the time, just their own porn or their own sexualization of, you know, yeah, so so will this stuff right now in, in, in 100 years be like, oh, this is the art of the generation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's like the moment it's no longer threatening in some ways yeah. art, right? Because I think so much art during the time was just mm -hmm. a crazy, like rebellious mm -hmm. thing that people couldn't understand. And then yeah. at a point when it's not threatening anymore for the next generation, yeah. oh, it's art. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we were dealing with the question of that the other day in um, some script stuff. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. I had never really thought about it in that way, how these explicit things that these sculptures and paint case paintings and stuff just became art and they're okay to be viewed by, you could put it on Instagram, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> you could definitely put it in museums for people to see. Yeah. yeah. What do you want your legacy to be? my voice will be heard for just for like sex workers, but for women in general, that they can be free and unapologetic sexually. And they can also like make art and really good work. They don't have to be compartmentalized. It's really cool because I hear there's some young girls who are in porn. I have to say the younger girls now are so business savvy. I mean, these 21 year olds, like they have, they're making so much money to help them in their future. And they're just, smart and 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 doing things that I would never been able to do when I was young just to be able to um have this business model but it's it's really cool because they come some of them come up to me and say you know what I always wanted to be an actress and, and a, in mainstream stuff too and I think maybe I can be now and thank you for like talking for me or like making me feel in the, like the public more legitimate or something and I, I'm, I'm always like taken aback by that and it's really sweet and I just I hope that I can be a bridge between the two worlds that people can remember that. And then in the future, they won't even think about it. <laughs> so I can be some sort of a, you know, yeah, some sort of a bridge that a lot of people can go across. Yeah. Awesome. And at what, <laughs> point, at, at what point do you think you'll feel like you've done enough that you've finally um, arrived? I don't know. I think when I'm a hundred, <laughs> Because I'll always find new things. I think that's your death if you think you've done enough. I don't think I'll ever feel like I've done enough. I think there's always going to be something new that I want to explore. That's the whole reason I got into porn is because I just 
can never be satisfied with like, I've done this. Okay. I need to, I always need to find the next level or the next boundary to cross. And, and um, so I, yeah, I don't think I'll, I, I'll ever ne- never feel like you've done enough. <laughs> always keep going forward with more. <laughs> um, and if you had to, how would you define enoughness? I think it's when, I don't even know if I can define it because I don't know if I can ever feel it. I think there does come a point in people's lives, hopefully, that they feel, hopefully towards when they're very old, that they feel they've accomplished something that they've left to the next generation. Like they've they've done something that that will give to the future when they're gone. So I think that will be the only feeling of enoughness that I have when I'm old, just to feel you know what, I did something and I wasn't scared to do something. I don't have a regret that I didn't do something. So I think that's, it's enough if you don't not try. If you like, just try and do what you feel in your heart and your intuition, what you, what your voice is telling you to do. Listen to your voice every day. (laughs) And final question for you. What does it mean to you to be a woman? It means for me to be my complete self. Uh, women are set so much in roles like we were talking about. It's very important for me to be completely me and completely authentic and to not deny parts of myself. And um, there's such a richness in women that we deny so much of the time. Like we think if we, one certain part of ourselves is elevated, we can't elevate the other parts of ourselves. And I think just being complete and and full and your your true self is is being a woman and being a person and i just think women should be more embracing of the of their intuition and of their their whole selves and not to be held back by anything anyone else says whether it be men society or other women women should embrace each other they should stop trying to tear each other down we would be so much farther along the way if women would just stop and just support each other yeah well i am really appreciative of the way you've embraced your voice your body your spirit and um and other women and empowering them to help them come into their own into their own sexuality so i appreciate that so much you too (laughs) i appreciate that yes i can't wait to read your book (laughs) I'm excited to I'm excited to send that to you Um, yes definitely definitely (laughs) thank you so much thank you thank you for listening to the enoughness podcast I created this show to reveal the real stories behind the people we admire to address this universal question we all have at one point or another am I enough Just remember, you're not on this journey alone, and you do have the power of enoughness. If you want to dive deeper and work directly with me to level up in your career and life to unlock the most powerful version of yourself, head over to lisacarmenwang.com or find me on all social channels at lisacarmenwang. I love meeting and supporting my listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate each and every one of you. Subscribe, share with a friend with hashtag enoughness, and never forget, you are enough.